Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we are in week two of our sermon series called The Difficult Words of Jesus. And as you guys know, what we're doing in this series is instead of running from or ignoring some of those things that Jesus said that many of us don't like, we're just going to jump in head first, no matter how uncomfortable things might get, to learn what it looks like. And even more than that, what it's going to cost us to follow Jesus with everything that we are. So again, I ask all of you, Who's ready to get uncomfortable today? Anybody? And the people that raise their hands, thank you, but you're lying. Nobody wants to get uncomfortable, right? So I just warn you now, and again, I say, this is not me talking. This is Jesus talking. So don't blame me for what comes out of my mouth. Here we go. All right. So um, to get into our teaching today, the first thing I need to tell you is we need to go back back to when I was in junior high, and I'm going to tell you about a time when I got the biggest butt-chewing of my life. Uh, so what was going on in this episode of my life is apparently the, the school bully was picking on and causing trouble for some of my little brother's friends. And of course, my brother Trevor, being the kind of dude he's always been, he decides he needs to do something to stop that from happening. He's going to protect his friends. And back in my day, the way those kind of issues got solved is if a threat didn't work, there was going to be a fight. And the way I remember it is as I'm walking out to get on the bus, Trevor finds me, he runs up and he says, hey, I need you to come. I'm going to fight this kid. I got to take care of him. We're just going to you know, handle this and all this stuff. But given I didn't want to walk all the way across town to get home and given that if we missed the bus, I thought we were going to be in horrible trouble from mom or dad, I decided that I was going to get on the bus and told Trevor to do the same thing. Yet Trevor, because of his loyalty to his friends, he was willing to get into a bit of trouble to stop this nonsense from happening. And then what I remember is I'm riding home on the bus. It's like 30 minutes home. Um, I remember thinking two things. One, just how much trouble Trevor's going to get into when mom and dad find out what's going on. And then two, I was feeling sorry for the poor kid that Trevor was about to destroy. Because my little brother at that time, he was the biggest, most athletic kid in the school, and the other kid was just kind of big, so it wasn't going to be a contest. So what happened as I was riding home on the bus is Trevor made quick work of this poor kid, which solved that problem, and then he found a ride home. Somehow he found a ride home, and so he gets home about the same time I get home. But even with that, I was still thinking, when mom and dad find out about this, we live in a small town, this is going to get out, he's going to be in deep trouble. Which, in my defense, sounds kind of logical, right? You miss the bus to get in a fight, you should find a little trouble when you get at home, right? Anybody else with me on this deal? Well, guess what happened? He didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble. I got in serious trouble. You see what happened that night when mom and dad got home is as Trevor told them kind of what happened that day. Not only did my dad commend him for missing the bus to stick up for his friends, which is kind of a noble thing, no doubt about that. But then he turns to me with a kind of fire in his eyes that I'd never seen before. And he proceeds to chew me up one side and down the other. How many of you guys know this place? Yeah, we know this place, right? And the reason he did that is because I didn't stay to make sure my little brother was safe. 
Or the point that my dad drilled into me for two hours that night. My dad was a lecturer. Was, I don't really care what your brother's doing, and I don't care if you have to break a few rules to do it. You never, and I mean ever, unless you want to deal with me, leave your little brother behind when he is in need. And then when I tried to play it off as not being that big a deal because of who Trevor was fighting, I'm like, Daddy's going to kill him. It wasn't that big a deal. It's not, Dad, calm down. He came back with something like, he is your brother, you are family, and for the rest of your life, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter if you have to make sacrifices, your job as a brother and as a member of this family is to always show up. And then he went on to say something like, blood is thicker than water, and what it means to be a loo, what it means to be a part of this family, is family always comes first. Now, How many of you grew up in a family just like that? Anybody? How many of you are teaching your children to do the exact same thing today, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of ingrained in us, and I think it's what makes families great. Okay, so now that we got that, what I want to do next is I want to walk you through how family systems worked in Jesus' time and how their commitment and loyalty to their family is even bigger than what I just talked about. So in that time and place... One was not defined as an individual who belonged to a family, which is the way we think today. No, at that time, one was completely and totally defined by the family they belonged to. Or to see this a bit more clearly, contrary to the way we understand families today being made up of a father and a mother and a couple of children, that's your nuclear family, right? In the ancient context, a family was made up of multiple generations living together with the oldest male being the head of the household. Or to get this, just imagine living in a home with your father's parents, all of your father's siblings, your uncles and their wives, and your unmarried aunts, and all of the family all living under one roof. And then to get the dynamics, just imagine your grandpa being the one who is in charge making all the decisions regarding the family, with your father and your uncles and everybody else basically working for your grandfather in the family business, which at that time was probably agriculture, right? They had a small farm or something like that. But to really get the difference between families then and now, what you've also got to see is that on an individual level, it really didn't matter what your hopes and dreams were. Or it didn't matter that you were gifted and wanted to go off and study something or you wanted to do some traveling or whatever it is. No, what was most important in that time and place, what always came first was the success of the family, which meant your place in the world, your role in life was not as an individual, but as a member of your family. And in turn, your job in that family was to always do what's best for them, no matter what it might cost you. Or to try to get this in a visceral way, because I don't think we actually get the the tight-knitness and how ingrained family was in that time and place. Just imagine how much you love your family and what you would do for your family. And then, you know, add that by 10 times, something like that. I mean, it really was the source of who those people were. Okay, so now that you got all of that, and just how important family was in the ancient context. Let us now get into the difficult words of Jesus and what he has to teach us about loyalty to our family. So according to the Gospel of Lucas, Jesus was out doing his thing, proclaiming and teaching the kingdom of God. He's being followed by this relatively large crowd at this point. And all of a sudden, it seems, Jesus just stops as they're walking down the road and he says these difficult words. And they're absolutely bananas. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even your own life, cannot be my disciple. Yet, 
He really said, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife, children, brother and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I'm pretty sure the first time I read this verse, it was something that was so strange, something so out of character for Jesus that I had to stop and go back and read it about 10 more times just to make sure I wasn't missing something. And I even got out other translations just to check in to make sure that this one didn't get it wrong. And then, of course, when I figured out that Jesus really did say being his disciple meant that I had to hate my family, I was thrown for an absolute loop. I didn't know what to think. And all because, like I shared with you guys earlier, in my world, family comes first. And a big part of what it means to put your family first is to love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters more than anyone else because that's how it's supposed to work. And yet here, Jesus seems to be telling me to hate the people I love the most if I want to be his disciple. But what makes this teaching even more scandalous is when you remember that Jesus is speaking these words in a time and in a place to a people who have been taught their entire lives that family is everything. Family has to come first. Family is the ground of who they are, even more so than the way we live today. So can you even imagine people's reactions as they're all walking along with Jesus and he says this crazy thing? I mean, what I imagine is it's gasp. I imagine I'm beginning to mumble among the crowds. Did he just say what I think he said? And I also imagine that there were some people that, that simply chose to walk away because of what he said. And yet, like it or not, comfortable with it or not, Jesus really does say, to be my disciple, you have to hate your family and your life. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Okay, so now that you're, you're racking your brain trying to figure out what Jesus is doing here, let us now take a step back to see if there's something more Jesus is doing than literally telling us to hate our families. Because the truth is, if that's the case, I think we're all in a bit of trouble. So the first thing you have to do anytime you run up against one of the difficult sayings of Jesus is not to read it and make sense of it on its own, like it's an island and it's not connected to everything else, but instead to step back and think about it in light of all that Jesus said and did. Or you've got to put it into the context. And all because when we do that, what we discover very, very quickly is that for the most part, and you guys know this, how Jesus tells us to treat others, including our family, is with love. For example, when Jesus is asked to sum up the, the whole of the Old Testament, he says, not only are you supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, but you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And really, who gets more neighborly than the people that you live with? To add to that, in the Gospel of John, right before Jesus is about to face the cross, he tells his disciples this, I give you a new command that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then to take this even further, when you take a moment to think about all that Jesus taught and did throughout his entire ministry, it becomes quite clear. Everything Jesus did, from preaching about the kingdom, to healing the sick, to casting out demons, even giving his life on the cross was something that was done out of love. And so for me, what all of that puts in, into perspective when it comes to this particular teaching is that this teaching is an anomaly. It's not something that lines up with what Jesus teaches all the time if we take it literally. And so what I think that means is we're not to take it literally. I think Jesus is doing something 
else here. And what I think Jesus is doing to, to really get people's attention so they don't miss the importance of what he's saying is he is using an ancient uh, Hebrew rhetorical method called prophetic hyperbole. Everybody say that word because it's so fun to say or this phrase, prophetic hyperbole. Please use it with your friends. They'll think you're so smart. Now, to understand this method, I want you to take a moment and think about all the ways you and I in our daily lives without even thinking about it, use exaggerated things or situations to make a point. For example, how many of you have ever said something like, man, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, that expression is used all the time, and there's other ones that go in there as well. And of course, what is meant by this phrase is not that someone is literally hungry enough to eat an entire horse. That's impossible. No, what's being communicated here is the hunger one is experiencing goes way beyond the feeling of normal hunger, right? Or, or another way to say the same thing is, is I'm really, 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 really hungry. Same thing. You're, you're trying to get at that point there. Another example that I hear all the time from my kids during car rides is, first of all, they ask, how much longer? And they ask that like every five minutes, right? Every five minutes. And this is my favorite one here. This trip is taking forever, right? And the, the truth is, anything over 30 minutes for my kids is forever. I, I've come to find that out kind of deal. And again, what is meant by this exaggerated expression is not that the trip is literally taking forever, because if that's the case, we'd still be on that trip, right? Forever is forever. No, again, this expression is kind of a metaphorical description that gets at the feeling my kids experience on long road trips, well, similar to what we do when we make those kind of exaggerated statements to make our point pop, to get people's attention, to help them feel it, that's what I believe Jesus is doing through the use of this method, prophetic hyperbole, when he says, hate your family and your life if you want to be my disciple. Which in turn means that what Jesus is actually trying to get us to see here in a way that no doubt catches our attention. I mean, when you read that, you lean forward like, what are you talking about, right? You really lean in for this. And so what he's doing there is he's basically telling us that what it means to be his disciple is we have to put him first. Or instead of living a life we're defined and devoted to our families because family comes first as a disciple, Jesus and his kingdom have to come first. Or to, to make this a bit more practical, to be Jesus' disciple means if, if there's a choice between what your family wants and what Jesus wants, Jesus gets first priority. If there's something that you want and Jesus is calling you to do something different, Jesus comes first. Or what it means to be Jesus' disciples. All those things that are important in our lives, all our commitments, our hopes and dreams and priorities, they have to come second because Jesus comes first. So again, Jesus is not literally telling us to hate our family and our lives. And what Jesus is saying in a way that really gets our attention and causes us to lean in is that what it means to be his disciple is he has to come first. Now, the first thought most people think of when they think, oh man, I got to give my life to Jesus or I have to give everything to Jesus. Well, my life's going to be boring now. I got to sit around and pray and do all that kind of stuff all day long. That doesn't sound like a good life. I can't do anything fun. That's the thing that automatically comes to people's mind. But what I want you guys to get 
This is the creator of the universe, right? He created all of this, and he set it up in such a way that it was going to function and work. And so what he's doing by calling us to give our lives to him first is he's telling us how to live the best possible life. Follow me, and I will show you the way. And in turn, what happens when you do that is you become a better grandparent, a better parent, a better friend, a better spouse. Your whole life changes when you take your priority from yourself and all those other things that you think are important and you put them towards Jesus. That's all he's trying to get us to do here. You've got to remember that. Oftentimes when people read Jesus, they think, oh, there's just these burdens that he's putting on our back that we got to do. No. What he's doing is he's trying to tell you how to live into the best possible life. He's telling you what it looks like to, to, to live the life that is truly life. So, with all of that being said, I now ask all of you this difficult question. Is Jesus really your first priority? No, I mean really. Is Jesus really your first priority? And I think for most of us, if we'll get honest with ourselves, uh, Jesus is about 10th, 12th, maybe 7th, which means which means we all have some serious work to do in figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to make him number one in our life. Let us pray. Father, uh, this is one of those difficult sayings that at first it, it really causes us to wrestle with things because in a literal way it, it sure seems crazy, but then when we step back and see what you're calling us to do, we now know it's all about putting you first. So today, oh Lord, help us to hear that, but not just hear it, but to go out and devote our life to it. And even more than that, Lord, help us to understand that we can't do this by ourselves, but that we can ask you to help us. We can ask you to help us put you first so that we can live into the life that is truly life. So today, oh Lord, do what you need to do in us to help us become better disciples for you. Help us to put you first so we can be the people you created us to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.